So anyway, Stefan, uh, as we've said, welcome to, to No Fit State. Um, before we delve into sort of discussing the history and the role of the state and anarcho-capitalism, how it compares, uh, I wondered if you could just give us a brief summary of, of your own philosophy and, and how you arrived at it. My philosophy is really founded on the non-aggression principle. Uh, that's sort of one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is a respect for property rights, which is you know, you could really argue it's just the same thing and, you know, looked at from a different angle. Uh, so um, the non-aggression principle, thou shalt not initiate force against thy fellow man and the respect for property rights. And uh, I came to it through uh, through Ayn Rand, through objectivism, and sort of recognized that if you're going to do the non-aggression principle, I like to go all the way. Really, that's my philosophy. I'm not a tease. I'm not a second base guy. I'm not a third base kind of guy. I'm an all the way kind of guy. So eventually after trembling on the edge of that brink of the non-aggression principle, uh, probably about six or seven years ago, I fell happily into the pit of accepting that a truly voluntary society is the only way that society can, can move forward, can avoid these endless collapses and wars and debts and enslavements and all this kind of stuff. Uh, this, this grim, boring cycle, uh, of, um, Freedom followed by, you know, economic freedom breeds a whole lot of wealth. Government uses that wealth as collateral to borrow. It indebts, it enslaves, it prints, it inflates. And uh, just, you know, if, you've, if you see that cycle clearly enough, it gets really, uh, really boring. And I hope that humanity will at some point get so bored of the cycle that they'll start looking for alternatives. Yeah, I definitely. I think there's a lot of people looking for alternatives now. But, I mean, just from our own experience, they, they tend to fall back into... The, the principle of trying to to take uh, the the government that we have, or the government that France has, or the government that Russia has, and saying, "Well, I know in all of these cases it's always been bad, but we can somehow clean it up so it, it will work." You as, know? as you might as might say yourself, Stefan, give me the gun and I can do a better job of it, sort of thing. Well, I mean then. This is a classic behavior of victims of abuse, right? That they believe that they can reform their abuser. This time it's going to be different. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. If they we can't just, strike we away just, from yeah. that abusive relationship. Yeah, there's a, a lot of people, it seems, waiting for a hero figure to, to, to come along. And uh, I saw that first in the States um, four years ago when, when Obama was, was coming into office. And uh, people genuinely seem to think that all of their problems are going to be solved overnight. Yeah, and I mean, what a wonderful thing that would be if um, if some thundering man-god could ride over the horizon, crack his fiery whip of violence, and make the whole world uh, stand <laughs> into attention with peace, order, prosperity, and freedom. Wouldn't that be great? You know, it would be great if uh, I didn't need to take craps in the morning. It would be great if my hair all grew back. It would be great <laughs> if I could live forever. And it would be great if my pet unicorn would actually come back when I called. But unfortunately, these things just aren't true. And we have to let the things of childhood go behind, uh, of which a faith in the organizational use of violence is, seems to be one of the hardest to, to let go of for people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, I, I don't know about yourself, but we found that uh, whilst most people... Um, are comfortable with the idea of reducing the size of the power of state, as I think you've written yourself. They become distinctly uncomfortable with the idea of getting rid of it all uh, altogether or completely. And it's it's really those last few stepping stones that seem to be the biggest hurdles, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think there's a a tipping point. This wasn't such a scary idea in the past. I mean, there were lots of uh, anarchists, uh, very public anarchists in the past, uh, from uh, Tolstoy to um, Tolkien to um, Bakunin to lo lots of uh, Prudhomme in many ways. So lo lots of uh, very public um, um, voluntarists or anarchists or people who 
you know, are just consistent in their ethics. They're sort of <laughs> philosophical. Um, and, of course, Lysander Spooner in the U.S., you can sort of go on and on. But they, it was sort of a more acceptable viewpoint in the past. I think really what's happened is there's, I think there's a tipping point. So once you take away people's liberty to a, to a particular degree, I don't know what, what percentage it is, you know, 20%, maybe it's okay, 30, 40. Once you get sort of 30, 40, 50%, once you take away people's liberty to that degree, then liberty becomes a really painful concept to, uh, to think about because you've been taken, you've been robbed of so much mm-hmm. that if you then really consider what it would be like to be free, it's really quite agonizing. You know, it's like um, uh, going down to the dungeon of Louis the Seventeenth and, and putting up PowerPoint slideshows of Waikiki beaches to people who are chained to the wall. I mean, it's just kind of cruel. Yeah. And I think in particular, once the government gets control of the children, right? And, and this has been the case for almost 150 years now that governments throughout the West uh, are the ones who train the children. And so when people have problems in society, they always seem to take the government out of the picture when it comes to having trained uh, the people, right? So Obama rails against the greed of Wall Street. It's like, well, you, you, know, you know the government trained all those people, right? It either trained them directly through public schools or indirectly by certifying the teachers and setting the curriculum in private school. So if the government does not find its citizens satisfactory, then it needs to look in the mirror. Uh, it's sort of like I have a flight school and I train all these people to fly and they keep flying into, into uh, mountains and I say, man, those people are idiots. I can't <laughs> believe what terrible flyers they are. Uh, that's, you know, I, I need to get more money from people because, I, you know, just, just look how many terrible flyers there are. It's like, dude, didn't you train those guys? I mean, <laughs> so I think that, and, and so when the government takes your childhood, which is kind of what the government does. You know, thousands and thousands of hours have locked in these little ice cube trays of mass distraction. Uh, it's really painful. I mean, to have been shepherded around, to, to move around like a cow from <laughs> bell to bell, uh, regardless of your particular interest at the moment, to never be asked uh, anything about what you want to study, to be simply shunted through the, for the convenience and summers off of your elders. That's really painful. I mean, there's a really deep, I think, emotional pain when people think of how it could have been. And I think that's one of the reasons why they shy away from it. Yeah, I guess it's sort of like they, they feel that they've been invested so much as well into this that, uh, you know, I, I liken it to taking a shit onto somebody's best rug. That's the sort of reaction you get when you when you say, well, do we actually need a state at all? You know, it's this shock horror. Like um, one person said to us today, with no government, well, th- then it would be anarchy. And we said, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bingo. And the classic With no rape, there would just be lovemaking. Me. Yes, that's exactly right. You are on the money. Yeah. So it, I guess we, we, what we're trying to um, get across to a lot of our listeners may be new to this whole concept of, of uh, having no government whatsoever. I mean, a lot of the uh, a lot of the focus tends to go towards reducing government and sort of cleaning up corruption and and yeah. that that's all good stuff but there there is that inherent argument that something that has arguably was created out of corruption and definitely has become so thoroughly corrupt um it, it almost becomes like an unworkable situation to to be able to tidy all that up so so your sort of uh, angle at it is that we just get rid of it altogether to, to go with a, a well yeah i mean of course i mean if you just look at the 20th century um just some basic facts i mean facts are important um some people have calculated um you, you can google the word democide or your listeners can have calculated that 
250 million people were murdered by their own governments mm -hmm. uh, in the 20th century. That's not really good. I mean, um, the Holocaust was unbelievably evil enough, and that it's a minuscule in comparison to, to democide. And now if you compare that to private murders, uh, we, you know, in the 20th century, private murders, depending on how you calculate it, it's about 8 million. Mm -hmm. So on, on the one side, you have an entity which, which is considered necessary for the protection of people, killing almost a quarter billion people, murdering them. This doesn't even count wars. This is just death camps, starvation, forced marches, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you face the risk of 8 million private murders throughout the, um, the century. And the private murders, these include things like, uh, you know, the effects of the drug war, uh, people raised in government schools uh, who, who don't know how to think and who have really bad aggressive problems. Uh, it uh, includes people who've come home from wars who are traumatized. Like it includes a lot of government mix up in that 8 million. It wouldn't be that nearly that high in a private society or free society. But these are just basic facts that you're not supposed to know. I'm sorry? I was just going to say a lot of those numbers don't get recognized. Casualties of war, we generally only hear about deaths, don't we? But there's a, a huge knock-on effect. Yeah, and I mean, uh, America, right? America was this big fight against uh, against communism. Because communism, you see, had all of these gulags, and it was really bad. But the percentage of Americans in prisons for nonviolent crimes is really very close to what uh, Solzhenitsyn and others were experiencing in the gulag right. archipelago under Stalin. And so how have you <laughs> won the war when you're incarcerating a similar number? And of course, governments say, well, well you need us. You see, you need us to, to save you from other governments. The other governments are really, really dangerous. And so you need us because these other governments could, you know. They're even worse. Just, and yeah. whatever, right? But the reality, of course, is that <laughs> our governments are the biggest arms dealers in the world. If, if America feels that foreign or, or the British government, of course, it's, it's England, the UK, Russia. I mean, these are the big arms dealers. And uh, if, if other governments are so dangerous, then perhaps we should stop arming them to the teeth. Uh, it's sort of like if you, um, <laughs> if you want an alarm system installed in your house and uh, they say, well, you know, there's lots of these thieves around. It turns out that the thieves are actually hired by the alarm company <laughs> to threaten you to get you to buy their services. We would recognize that as incredibly corrupt. Uh, and so governments are not protecting us from other governments. They are, in fact, uh, robbing from us and, and selling off our kids in order to uh, well arm all of these uh, other governments uh, mm. it's it's shocking i mean it's truly it's truly criminal yeah it's it's quite the perfected sort of uh, racket or or mafia really isn't it the pr the protection racket that that goes on um so just just stepping aside from that for a for a moment i mean we hear a lot about uh, moves towards minarchism or smaller you know smaller or minimal government um, I just wanted early on for you to sort of explain to us and, and the listeners how small government inevitably becomes large government, if not the, you know, the most centralized government we've ever seen, the, the, the case in point being the United States. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good point. And, and there is the fantasy and, and what a great fantasy it would be, right? So there's the, the subjectivist or libertarian argument that, you know, we're going to crush the state down to, you know, the couple of major functions that the state should have, the police, the law courts, the military, maybe the prisons, that, and then that's it. So the government is an umpire, it's not a player. Uh, and um, what we want to understand is, you know, if that's the goal, the first place you look is, is, is history. I mean, that's the first place you want to look. You don't want to look into the fantasies of the future or the language manipulation you can create in your head about how things should be. You want to look at history and say, okay, has this been tried before? And what were the results? Well, um, just a couple off the top of my head, 
ancient Rome uh, started off as a pretty small government. That's one of the reasons why it had uh, such uh, such growth. And the small government turned into a very large corrupt republic, which became very imperialistic and then finally crushed itself because it ran into so much debt that it couldn't pay off its mercenaries. Its mercenaries came and sacked Rome, reducing it from a population of about a million to a population of about 17,000 as everyone was sent out into the countryside uh, in a true Cambodian-style death march. Uh, into uh, starvation. Uh, so this was a big problem. Big governments uh, grow out of small governments. Small governments allow wealth to grow. Wealth becomes collateral. Wealth becomes higher taxes, which funds the ambitions of politicians. And uh, you could look at uh, England, of course, uh, had uh, it was the first to implement really the modern concept of free trade in the 18th uh, centuries. And uh, England then became very wealthy. And what happened? It became uh, very top-heavy. Uh, it became increasingly controlled. And, of course, it became imperialistic. Because sociopaths at the top love to lob grenades over into other countries. It lets them discharge their sadism. It helps them provoke foreign enemies, which allow them to cow the domestic population with, you know, created threats. You poke a hornet's nest and you say, oh, my God, we need protection from hornets. Isn't that a shock? Um, America, of course, is the biggest example and the one that most people would be most familiar with. America, of course, philosophically designed as the very smallest government. I mean, it was an atom on the face of the sun. It was the smallest government I mean, okay, well, let's discount the incredible murders of the domestic population, the, the, the Native Americans, the Indians. Let's discount no rights for women. Let's discount no rights for children. Let's discount slavery. You know, just looking at it through the lens of, you know, white middle class and uppers. Um, it was the very smallest government that could be conceived of, philosophically designed by the geniuses of the age. And look what happened. It grew from the very smallest government that the world had ever seen to right now, the very largest government with the most power, the most destructive power that could be imagined that the world has ever seen. The power to destroy life on this planet dozens of times over. If that doesn't give people pause about the prospects for minarchism, then I suggest they rewind and listen again. I, I guess it would be more of a, a repri uh, reprieve for... A, a short period of time. I think that's uh, a lot of the, the lot of the calls people calling back to to want to get back to the back to the founding fathers, back to the the early days of the Constitution. At the end of the day, if it got to this state once, it's going to happen again and again and again. And really, we need yeah, to start looking regrows. at uh, the, a completely the cancer different. Cancer always regrows. So let's yeah, the cancer always regrows. You know, you you. you <laughs> It's sort of like, the you know, you want the surgeon to open up, cut away maybe 80% of the cancer, which you know is going to regrow, and then say, don't worry, I wrote the word constitution on your cancer, so there's no way it's going to regrow. And yeah. then, of course, it all does. At some point, it's like, you know, that last 20%, which, is, which we know is going to regrow and threaten our health again, just take that sucker out. Um, I'll, I'll try life without the cancer at all. I really think that there's some great possibilities there. Yeah, I think, I think it's the, the very nature of government, isn't it? Because it, because it doesn't produce anything. Of, of worth by itself uh, it's only really this this parasite that's sort of stealing from everyone else um, it's it's constantly having to justify its very existence well there's no upward cap on its growth i mean for for so many reasons i mean if you provide bad service in the free market people stop buying from you if you overcharge in the free market people stop buying from you there is involuntarism there is a natural check and balance on the growth of of power if some if a large group of people think a corporation is getting too big or some organization is getting too big, there would be no corporations in a free society. They're state-created monsters too. But if some organization is getting too big, people are like, okay, hey, you know, I'm going to just stop dealing with these guys. And then they, they collapse. They can't go out and buy an army. I mean, that's going to be completely obvious to everyone. And so government has no a limit on its upward growth. Um, and the way, of course, that government works, which is we all know, is the government will uh, give you stuff for free. Uh, and the, the way that it does that, of course, is it prints and it borrows. 
right? It prints money and it borrows money. And not one person in a thousand can usually trace back inflation two years after the fact to the printing money that occurred to pay for some particular social program. And more importantly, it goes into debt, right? So if you look at a lot of the wealth that the baby boomers have created or, or gathered, a lot of it is because the government paid for a whole bunch of stuff that they otherwise would have had to pay for, from you know roads to healthcare to old age pensions and so on, and the education of their children. Government paid for all of that by going into debt. So they got a huge amount of free stuff. The debt now rolls into the next generation. And this is inevitable. In public choice theory, you can read about this online. Uh, there's no mathematical possible way that the size of government can be restrained or controlled. The benefits of taking a penny from a million people and giving it to some guy are far too great. And so the guy who's getting, you know, whatever it is, uh, a penny from a million people, he's going to have a huge incentive to keep that going. You and I have one penny's worth of incentive to stop it. And so it ends up with death by a thousand mosquito bites and the slow suicide of a once noble culture. It's one of the inherent things going into like economics and, and, and just how the, um, the, the fact that the huge majority of the population, when you, when you try and describe debt-based debt-based currency and how you know private banks uh basically create our currency for you know out of nothing um and that we're indebted to them where it could be created you know in credit uh one of the reasons why i think they 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 don't believe it or they don't want to listen to it is because the con is so is so big and they they, they think that there's some sort of uh, system in government that wouldn't you know wouldn't sell us out you know the, there's this belief that the the government is our mum and our dad and they wouldn't do anything to to hurt us while in reality of course it's this complete collusion between those who benefit versus the rest of us that are yeah. just put up with yeah. however much tyranny that you know they can throw at us. It's it's strange because there seems to be this faith in the the altruism and and benevolence of of government without it ever having to be proved, you know, or categorized. Well, I mean, this is the basic problem. I mean, obviously, if all men are good, then we don't need a government. If all men are bad, we can't have a government because the bad men will use the government to dominate everyone else. If the majority of men are good and the minority of men are bad, the bad people will take over the government and use it to dominate the good. If the majority of people are bad and a minority is good, same thing happens. There is no logical way under which the, the distribution of good and evil in society can justify the existence of a government. I mean, look, we're mammals. We want to, like all living organisms, we want maximum returns with minimum effort. And the, the government, of course, provides that and it swells and justifies. And the other thing that's true is that uh, people have no respect for wisdom or deep study in the realm of, of government or political science or even economics. I mean, as Murray Rothbard said, isn't it? It's no crime to be ignorant of economics. It's a complicated, and discipline, a complicated discipline, but it kind of is a crime to, to think that you know something when you don't. And stuff which just seems obvious to people, which they're told repeatedly, uh, which is just not true, um, the people think that they know something about it, and, and they really don't. And unfortunately, I mean, in, in other disciplines, that's kind of understood. I don't sort of wake up one day, do a couple of stretches and say, that's it. I'm ready for the Olympic hurdles, right? I mean, yeah. uh, I recognize that it takes years of training and dedication to become an expert in this. And the, 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 the average idiot on the street thinks that he knows something because he's seen a couple of ads and he was indoctrinated by his public school into how wonderful government is. He thinks he knows something about it. And False knowledge is the true enemy of knowledge. I mean, if you know that you don't know something, you can go and find it out or at least admit that you don't know it. But if you think you know something that ain't so, that's 
that's the really dangerous problem. And most people have an understanding of political science from their government schools in the same way that people who look at McDonald's ads on TV have an understanding of nutrition. I mean, there's all just commercials. There's no substance to them. I think it's also sort of worth noting how invested, you know, so many or so much of the population is now on the state, whether it be the welfare state, um, you know, or something as simple as food stamps. Which, or, you know, or the fact that you've paid your taxes for, for 20 years yeah. and you're, you're counting that up in your head that I've paid, you know, 5000 a year for my taxes, which means I'm invested for this. And, you know, so it, it's got to be worth something. Uh, and I've gone through it, so therefore everybody else should, regardless yeah. of the, the, the morals of the matter. Yes, and... As I've, um, you know, I've asked this of a wide variety. I, I speak at a lot of conferences, uh, and uh, I've asked this of a wide variety of uh, people in the audience. I say, well, how many of you have gone to jail for your beliefs? And you know, maybe one or two people will put their hand up. And then I say, well, how many of you have received social ostracism and and criticism and and you know, significant social problems because of your beliefs? Every single person uh, puts their hands up every single time, and that really is the government. The government is is horizontal, right? The government gets us to attack each other. Uh, for speaking the truth, and then they profit from that. Uh, they don't, uh, you know, they don't monitor us. We monitor each other. Uh, it's slave on slave violence mm -hmm. that produces the state, and and is and only makes the state possible. Uh, the state is an effect of our willingness and sometimes lust to attack each other for speaking the truth. Well, you also see this with a lot of the issues that you see uh, people bickering about. Uh, it's sort of almost like handed uh, gay marriage is a good one, where it's basically they. We're we're handed some some sort of uh, uh, thing for the for the peons to fight over, and and the government is this all-knowing arbiter, and and it, it's like a, a never-ending circle. Um, basic basic liberties and freedoms should be there regardless of you know your race, your gender, whatever your sexual preference. Um, yeah, I mean, you could just say to people, of, uh, of would you be willing to? Sorry, you just say to people, would you be willing to accept gay marriage if it meant never having to pay taxes again for the rest of your life? Mm. I mean, how many people would, would, oh, you know, I've had a sudden change of heart. And, yeah. Anyway, sorry, it, go ahead. It, it's like uh, instead of the, the government even coming in as an arbiter and saying, right, well, basically, if everyone treats everyone the same, uh, uh, then, then it's all cool anyways. They come in with this, well, this, this group needs more <laughs> rights or this group, you know, we'll have to take away everyone's to, and it, it's this fake arbit uh, arbitration of the government, like, again, coming in as the parent figure to, to sort of calm everyone down and, and tell, you know, say which, which, uh, which side of the, the argument they're going to put their force behind to, to force people to fall in line with. And, and you get this with so many things in life. Once, you, once you're aware of the, the whole sort of con job is you just see how many of the arguments everyone's fighting over well, are actually, one, very simple to, to solve, but they're also... They're just there, perpetuated to to keep the government and, the fingers in the yeah, pie. Yeah, and I think the other thing is the issues become aligned with one party or the other, and so the whole time you're in this false paradigm or this uh, false dialectic, I should say, where it's you know right versus left, and pick a team, and and your issue will be ascribed to one of those two teams, really. Yeah, no, it uh, sort of reminds me of uh, you know being teased as a kid, and some kid would say yes means no, and no means yes. Do you want me to hit you? And like, uh, no, no, yeah, yeah, no, wait, wait, what was it again? Ah, you get hit anyway, right? I mean, it's just, it's a trick, but now you're to blame, right? But, um, no, the, 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 the gay marriage thing, obviously, I mean, it, 
obvious it comes out of religiosity. I and mean, it comes out of the Christian problem uh, in the Old Testament and to some degree in the New Testament with homosexuality. I mean, homosexuals are supposed to be put to death according to uh, the all-loving God of the Old Testament. And that has had a huge effect on society. If you look at it oh, even remotely objectively, uh, of course, people want to use the government to protect the family. I mean, this is sort of the idea. The family is has been... I mean, it, it, it's people, they can't even understand it unless they've studied this in, in history. The, the, the family, the traditional family, has been absolutely, completely and totally shredded and decimated by state social policies of the exactly. past couple of decades. Um, I mean, the, the rise of single motherhood, the, the, the deadbeat dads, the, the, uh, uh, it's just been, it's truly, it's truly horrifying and astounding the degree to which the communist goal of having the state uh, become really the replacement for the traditional family yeah. unit has been achieved. I mean, this is the goal of all unbelievably radical and destructive ideologies is to replace the family unit with some other collective concept based usually almost exclusively on coercion. Mm -hmm. And this, of course, which it's, it shifts people's loyalties in very powerful and fundamental ways. If the state has been your pseudo daddy, that gives you a whole host of psychological issues when it comes to rebelling against the state or, or questioning its moral validity. If your mom has been dependent upon the state, then wishing that the state were not there is, in a sense, wishing for atomization. It has hugely profound effects on, on people's psychology. It has very profound effects on economics, of course. It has very profound effects on, on crime and dysfunction. Uh, kids of single parents uh, uh, just tend to do a huge amount worse, which means more social services, more government, more problems, more crime. Uh, so the idea that, that the government is going to do something to protect traditional marriage when it has just dropped, dropped a bunker buster into the nuclear family over the past few decades, it's, it's an astonishing thing. And I, I really have this feeling, guys, you know, I don't know what you think. I have this, this feeling. People are going to Look at us a couple of generations from now, and they're going to wonder how we managed to get out of our houses um, without just continually bumping our heads in our doors, being too retarded to open them, or how, you know, how we were able to walk down the street since we would obviously have tied our shoelaces to our penises or something. I mean, how the yeah, hell well, are we supposed to be taken seriously as a species when we, we come up with these absolutely absurd things? Like we say, I need the government to protect my property, and I'm going to give them the right to take half of it by force. I want the government to protect the family, though it's shredded it for the past few generations. I want the government to protect me from criminals. The government is largely responsible for producing them. I want the government to protect me from foreign governments, which your government is arming yeah. how well, cannabis, they think we can get through the day cannabis makes people uh you know lazy and and makes them go psychotic so what we're going to do is take them and lock them into uh jail for 10 years and, and you know that that's really you know intelligent put, put them on psychotropic drugs put them on drugs psychotropic the drugs since a kid yeah i mean it's they're all oxymorons these things really aren't they well and of course i mean the <laughs> Politics is physically addictive. This is fairly well documented that uh, uh, the, the achievement of political power, as distinct from economic influence or, or whatever, the achievement of political power releases drugs in your system that make you feel good and happy and joyful uh, that are stronger than cocaine. And they've seen this. You know, they do this experiment with monkeys, monkeys that go up in the social hierarchy in the brute force hierarchy, uh, get all kinds of happy joy, joy juice in their brains. And when they go back down, they, they feel crashed and depressed and they have to try and achieve it again. Uh, so you have a bunch of people who are addicted to substances more powerful than cocaine called political power uh, attempting to try and tell us not to be addicts. I mean, well, it, it, again, it's, it's an unbelievably comic and, and pathetic and, and dismal farce. Yeah, it's, I mean, these things have been proven time and time again. And, and one of the best examples really was the Stanford University experiment. And for those who aren't familiar with it, it's, um, 
Uh, a bunch of students were taken, half were played the role of prisoners, half played the role of prison wardens. And, and very quickly we saw the, the, the effect that power and authority has on people, um, even people who, who think they're you know, immune to it. Well, but just to clarify, uh, that is certainly an experiment. They only they wanted it to go on for a couple of weeks. They had to stop it after a day or two because of uh, injuries and so on, uh, sadism and brutality. But this is, you know, some people think, oh, well, this is human nature and blah, blah, blah. But no, this is all people who were raised by the government, all people who were put into government schools uh, and, and spend, you know, 12 or 13 of their formative years being instructed six hours a day with an hour or two of homework by the state. And they have no capacity whatsoever to avoid the addiction to power. And they assume that the moment they have power, they can use it to harm and abuse others. Well, this is what you learn from public school, but it's got nothing to do with human nature. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I think we've established that we're sort of uh, singing from the same hymn sheet here uh, relatively. So just thought I'd change things up a little bit and, and may, maybe um, ask you a few questions or, or pose to you the points that we continuously have put to us. Yes, please. Um, if we, if we kick off maybe with, with law and policing and the justice system and so forth, um, James is just putting the dogs out of the way because they're making a noise. Um, oh, James. <laughs> so, Sorry, man. It's, uh, I didn't mean, you know, I got a husky and they, they like howling. What you mean is you are releasing the blood-soaked, uh, fire-breathing anarchist hounds uh, into the <laughs> That's why I got them. And I got dash hounds That's to go right. for the ankles. That's right. Um, yeah, so let's skip forward ahead um, to we've got our, our chance for a, a true anarchist system. System. So, so we have a couple of uh, things that people you know, come up to. They always come back to uh, one of the things they come up to when you say that we don't need a government is, is how, do we, how are we protected? Uh, how do we stop criminals from just you know, raping everyone, stabbing everyone to death, setting fire to everything. There seems to be this this uh, perception that with, without this police force, which they don't seem to understand is a relatively new concept, um, that okay, there would so just be murder the on the streets. I'll, I'll, you play the status and I'll see what blurring, blur-eyed ninja moves I can pull. So this is, you're making the case, and I would say, so is it your perception or belief that when people will not face the consequences of their actions that they will act in a, a more evil way? Yeah, that seems to be what what everybody thinks, doesn't it? You, that you well, do you believe that politicians scenario. and other government officials do face consequences for their destructive actions? Well, quite, yeah. We see time and time. Right, so if you believe that in the absence of uh, some sort of negative response like jail or whatever, people are going to do bad things, then you can't have a government because the government pretty much provides immunity from bad things for people. Um, you know, if you uh, you run a stoplight, you will get pulled over. Uh, if you start a war, you will get a pension and uh, you will get a book deal, right? So uh, if 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 believing that people will act worse in the absence of negative consequences, if that is true, then you can't have a state. If it's not true, then the state isn't helping anyway. Mm -hmm. um, what about uh, okay? Say for instance, England became an an anarch, you know, a, a nation of anarchy, and we had. Um, all the good stuff, small local systems, everybody, you know, helping each other out and, and it's all running fine. What's to say that um, China, who is run by, you know, an iron regime doesn't come in and, and then just basically overtake us? Is there some sort of system that we could have where we could have a military? Would that be private? Would that be like run by corporations? Yeah, of course. Or Look, I mean, there, there's a couple of things to say about that. First and foremost... Governments take over other governments 
for the reason that a really nasty farmer is going to take over another farm because it's because the cows are already domesticated and producing all this good stuff which you can sell. Mm-hmm. So governments don't take over countries. When they invade, governments take over tax systems, right? So when uh, you know when the Nazis invaded uh, uh, France in May of 1940, what what they invaded was to take over the tax collection system that was already in place. Right. Uh, and so they just started collecting taxes and grabbing all this stuff. If there's no tax collection system in place there's really not much point or not, not much capacity to, to go in and, and take it over. You know, it's like, it's just like, it's like a, you'll go take over someone's farm if you want to make a quick buck and you're a bad guy, but you're not just going to go into the woods and start, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, because there's no system, nothing's domesticated. So that's really tough uh, to, um, uh, to, to make the case. Why, why would they come? I guess they would try and maybe come in and enslave you or whatever. Of course, um, what about private resources? military well, but natural resources tend to be much more efficiently gathered through trade than they are gathered through conquest, mm-hmm. right? I mean, so for instance, right, there are lots of natural resources in India, lots of, lots of natural resources all over the British Empire. And so when England was completely broke at the end of World War II, why didn't they just rebuild their treasury by continuing the empire? Well, the reason is because it's really expensive to run an empire. An empire is profitable for a few people, but it's very expensive uh, for the rest of it, for everyone else, right? And so at the moment that Britain ran out of money, it dumped its empire, which gives you the true understanding of, of, its, um, of its economic value uh, to people. So if China wants to, to get natural resources from England, the best thing that they can do is, uh, is to trade. I mean, now, of course, you know, they can get some, some crazy things or whatever, but um, uh, you would have a private army. Of course you would. Uh, and of course, people could have weapons, right? I mean, the, the reason that uh, mm-hmm. I think it was the, I can't remember, it wasn't Hirohito, it was some Japanese admiral uh, in World War II. He said, you can't invade America. Uh, the, every blade of grass has a gun. Yeah, exactly. And you, you can't because, right? So, so if people have the capacity, I mean, nobody knows, there's no registry, but if people have the capacity for weaponry, how on earth are you going to? Uh, how on earth are you going to invade? Think of the technology that would be there. I mean, the technology in the military is incredibly wasteful and doesn't work ninety-eight percent of the time. It's ridiculous. But imagine if you had the genius of some, you know, Steve Jobs-style entrepreneur coming up with sophisticated weaponry designed to target perhaps just the leaders the of the foreign countries. I'm sorry. The eye bazooka. The Ibazooka, something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so that kind of stuff would be developed if there was a need for it. Uh, people don't want to be invaded and taken over by Chinese overlords, and so they would fund that. Of course, as they would, right? I mean, they would want to keep their way of life intact. And, of course, um, to take a, an example that is difficult but instructive, I mean, look at something like Afghanistan. I mean, even look at Iraq. I mean, look at the amount of power and might and control and wealth the U.S. military has. And they've basically been defeated by what? By a bunch of insurgents, people who have almost no resources. Uh, look, I mean, and defense, of course, is much cheaper than uh, attacking, right? So one of the reasons the Soviet empire went, went bust in the, uh, in the 80s was because uh, they were sending $20 million MiG uh, missiles, sorry, $20 million MiG airplanes into Afghanistan, where the Mujahideen trained by the CIA were launching a $20,000 rocket to blow it up. I mean, it doesn't take long for that math to accumulate and bust you up. So defense is much cheaper than invasion. There would be much better technology. People would be much more proactive, and there'd be much less reason to take over a system with no existing tax structure. So um, that, would be my, uh, that would be my argument. And, you know, there's lots of others and, and plenty of examples. I mean, Afghanistan has been invaded oh, by, what, 20 different uh, countries over the past thousand years and they still remain sovereign yeah. uh, uh, so 
again, I'm not saying, and therefore we'll end up like Afghanistan. This is not exactly a very <laughs> sophisticated society. But there's lots of reasons to believe that it's not going to be a biggest pro- as big a problem uh, as, as people think. And, and let's say it is, right? So, I mean, this is what people say. Well, let's say we have a free society and a government comes back. Well, first of all, there's tons of reasons as to, I mean, people wouldn't, you know, that's like saying, well, what if next election, everyone in England votes for slavery to come back? Like, it's not going to happen. I mean, once you make that step forward, you don't tend to go back. Um, there's not going to be a law passed next month which bars women from ever holding a job. I mean, once you pass that threshold, you don't tend to go back. Yeah, so I once, don't think that that's... Once people start getting a taste that they can protect themselves and they can contribute in a positive way to their their community and, their, you know, without being forced to by government then uh, i think so, people would be really empowered i think uh, a large part of the problem is just we're we're basically brought up being told that oh, we're domesticated we, yeah yeah you can't possibly it's one of the reasons why they disarm the public you know england especially we you know people are petrified to defend themselves uh against you know violence or criminality because the state's gonna come and get them they you know you you they've gotten domesticated so much that it's bred into us now that you're not allowed to defend yourself and the state's the only one responsible, which of course is ridiculous when you look at the face of it because you look at all the corruption and the, the deaths in police hand. And, but yeah, it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, as Michael says, the oxymoron of, of everything, you know, the, they'll, they'll shoot down one argument even though this, the system that we've got in, that, uh, in place right now is abysmal. You know, it's, it, it's well, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I've got a book, it's free on my website, it's called Practical Anarchy, which goes into all of this stuff in more detail, I won't yeah. regurgitate and cough up the hairball of all the arguments here. But I will say the, the, the fundamental argument with with the statist, and isn't it cool that there even is that word now? Yeah, I love that word. <laughs> it's cool, that right? it's I mean, the fact that there's a word to identify. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's fascinating that there's a word to differentiate that belief, right? As opposed to, you know, you, you don't say that, hey, look, there's somebody who believes in gravity. Anyway, but um, uh, the, the fundamental argument is not about consequences. I mean, frankly, who gives a rat's ass in a teacup what happens after we're free, how things get done? It doesn't matter whatsoever, and it's impossible to predict fundamentally. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you and I were having an argument in the antebellum South, early 18th century, at the end of slavery. I think we should free all the slaves. This is immoral. You own people, chattel, cattle. I mean, beat them and chain them and enslave them. It's, it's evil. And people said, what? But the slaves pick all the food. Are you, you, are you saying we're all going to starve to death? That's what you want? Everyone is just going to starve to death? And you said, no, you know, I, I think I know what's going to happen. Okay, so just work with me. You know, put on your imagination cap for sex. I think what's going to happen is... Okay, follow me, a word picture. But maybe 150 years from now. So right now, like 80% of people are involved in in farming. But let's say 150 years from now, maybe less, only 3% of people are involved in farming. And you know all that stuff that's in the ground, that black stuff called oil, that is just a huge hassle and a mess, and we just try and find some way to get rid of it? That is going to become some of the most prized stuff on earth and what's happened is they're going to suck it out of the ground and they're going to put it into giant mechanical robot wheelhouses that have these giant mechanical robot arms that go and pick all of the crops uh, and and get all the cotton and all the wheat and they get all the crops and it's going to require just one guy up there driving it's going to do the work of a hundred slaves it's going to take one day today to do what used to take a month and uh, you know and it's going to run on the crushed juice of old prehistoric dinosaur bones and trees 
And that's how it's all going to work. And so we can free the slaves because it's going to lead to this wonderfully great robot-armed, uh, oil-valuable future. I mean, people would look at you and say, well, that's insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a ridiculous thing to – I mean, that is actually what – but so you can't predict it. You can't – you don't know what's going to happen. I don't care how the cotton be- gets picked after we free the slaves. The fact is, is that slavery is immoral. I don't care how the roads get built. I don't care how the children get educated. I know it's going to happen because people want solutions and solutions are always provided in a free market. But I don't care fundamentally because to say I need to be able to guess how cotton is going to be picked in 100 years in order to justify my opposition to slavery is a rhetorical trap which you simply can't escape from. I mean, it's a Venus flytrap. It closes over your brain. You can't get anywhere. The problem is the initiation of force is immoral. The problem is taxation is theft. The problem is that incarceration for nonviolent crimes is kidnapping and imprisonment. And it's wrong. It's immoral. Selling off the unborn, the productivity of the unborn for the sake of bribing constituents in the here and now is wrong. It's immoral. We have to take that moral stand. I don't care what happens 100 years from now once we have stopped using violence to solve social problems. I don't care how people get married once we stop raping everybody. We have to stop using force and imagining that it's good. Yeah, I think, I think the, the slavery um, analogy works really well. The, on, the only thing with that is it's one, one aspect of society. And when, when you're trying to recommend or suggest um, you know, an anarcho-capitalist society without a government, you, you're looking at breaking everything down rather than just one, one aspect. And I, I think the other thing there with what you were just talking about is those, those points go across or come across very well when you're preaching to the converted. Um, but in terms of when you're trying to introduce new ideas to people, that they they want to know what the consequences will be, and 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 they're not prepared to just accept the moral argument. And and well, I'm sure but, you've found but you it can yourself. push back on that, right? So you can say, so what you're saying is that unless someone could guess how cotton was going to be picked a hundred years in the future, you wouldn't have supported the end of slavery. Like, would you have said we have to keep? going on with slavery until people can predict what's going to happen in a free society 100 years after slavery, you understand that that would never have occurred. You would never have had that satisfied, and therefore you would have had to perpetually uh, approve of and defend the institution of slavery. If that was, if the standard that you're handing to me to prove the freedoms that I'm talking about was the same as you as required for slavery, you would have been an ardent pro-slaver. Mm-hmm. And if people say, well, yes, I would have been an ardent pro-slaver, it's like, okay, well, I guess we're done. And if they say, okay, well, that is a problem. I mean, I get that the standards that I'm applying to you now in arguing for a free society are exactly the same standards that would have continued slavery. There's something wrong with my standards. Then great. You can start to have a more productive conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Take your point. Um, I mean, there's obviously lots of other arguments that come up or the questions that were asked or that that people are asked. If you you start sort of bringing up the state um, or or questioning the state, Um, one of the main ones would be... um, People often say, won't people want to get rich and, and, and powerful and inevitably break, you know, voluntary contracts at the most opportune moments? And I know, I know you speak about... Okay, so, of course, yeah, the argument for that is, so, so, okay, because what people do is they divide the world into opposite things. They divide the universe into two opposite worlds. Extreme, so, yeah. in the world of the free market, people want to do all of this greedy stuff and they want to break contracts and they want to just you know, pillage and, 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 you know, do all this terrible stuff to get a hold of all these resources. And those are the devils. Now, on the, on the other world are these angels, you see, <laughs> these angels who don't have any of those drives, who don't want to get things unjustly, who don't want to accumulate power, who don't want to break contracts. Yes, government. And those people will, those angels will control the devils. 
But of course, if it is human nature to want to get stuff for nothing and to break contracts and so on, then you have to ask, how many times do politicians break the contracts that they make? How many times do politicians break the promises that they make that get them elected? Well, all the time. In fact, any time a politician keeps a promise, it's purely accidental. Oh, yeah, I guess I did keep that. How, I guess I never thought of it. If I thought <laughs> so, about so it, would I would you have argue there's, there's no semblance of accountability as it stands? Well, I mean, there's two ways, I guess three ways to answer that. The first is, well, yes, there's no accountability because you can't sue the government. Mm -hmm. And then if you can sue the government, the government, if you win, well, God help you, right? But if you win, they don't pay you from the income of the person who made the decision. Right. They pay you out of general tax revenue. So, no, there's no, there's no pretty accountability. Swell deal the same way, yeah. Yeah, in the same way that there's no and and of course most uh, most government employees who uh, work in contact with the public are specifically shielded. They are immune from any kind of lawsuit uh, explicitly, and you you can't even even imagine it. Uh, so no, there's no consequences if a politician makes a decision that is uh, bad economically and costs a bunch of people their jobs. Uh, he has no. A liability for it whatsoever. If uh, a politician starts a war and it turns out that the war, as it almost is the case, was started on false pretext, then the government, uh, the, the individual, has no uh, liability. Now, you could say, well, if somebody's really unpopular, they'll get voted out and so on. But of course, by the time you're voted out, if you're at any reasonably high political office, you've made more than enough money to retire on for the rest of your life. You have contacts, you can go into consulting, you can go into the revolving door of public private sector partnerships. And so it's really hard to say that that's. Um, that's a massive catastrophe yeah. uh, for, I mean, just look at Tony Blair. I mean, the guy started a war uh, where, according to a reasonable uh, criti critiques, uh, he, he knew ahead of time that there was no weapons of mass destruction, started the war unjustly against a country that had a zero threat to, uh, to UK interests. And um, he's on the lecture circuit. Uh, he's teaching. He's got book deals worth millions of dollars. He's written his memoirs. He's got a gold-plated pension with uh, gold-plated healthcare benefits for the rest of his life. He's made more money than he could be spent in three reasonable generations. Um, so it's hard to see where the negative consequences are for directly being involved in a war that has cost the lives of about a million people uh, mm -hmm. in Iraq and uh, driven millions more into uh, into refugee status. So it's really hard to say where the accountability is uh, in uh, in government. Uh, I mean, talking about psychopaths, uh, basically government is run like a mafia. I mean, we joke about this all the time. Uh, the, the entire thing, you know, oh, you not paid your taxes. Oh, look, your house may be set fire to, you know, you haven't paid your protection racket. Sort of like that. I mean, that is pretty much the sort of people that, that sort of gravitate towards government and even local levels we see that all the time with corruption locally and and there is no accountability and and of course the move to a one world sort of government is just basically to remove as much direct accountability uh, as possible don't come to us mate go to london you can't go to london because it's in brussels now you know so What's well, but I think the important thing to recognize, there's, there's two, I think, fundamental differences between the mafia and, and the state. The first is that the mafia doesn't indoctrinate everyone's children, mm -hmm. uh, and therefore they don't, right? And, and as a consequence of that, the people in the mafia don't believe that they're do-gooders who are helping society. Mm -hmm. They're like, you know, hey, this is my team. Uh, this is all I care about. Uh, you screw you. So if you don't give us the money, we'll break your kneecaps. But they don't sit there and say, and therefore give me... Uh, the Nobel Prize Prize. They yeah, give me the Presidential so, Medal of Honor because I'm just such a great guy who's doing so much wonder. And and people look at the mafia and say, well, that's some pretty scary, dangerous stuff there, man. I don't want to get involved in that. But they look at the state and they say, here are my children. Yeah. Do with them what you will. Yeah, absolutely. So, but, but how would you stop an equivalent 
sort of uh, mafia or uh, mafias that we've you know we've we've known for a long time throughout our history. Um, what's what's to stop them uh, them coming about um, in, in in an ideal society with a you know stateless society? How do you prevent them forming and developing? Because um, they they really are the epitome of the sort of cynical, self interested uh, um, psychopath, aren't they? Who subvert you know uh, and manipulate power. Well, I mean, what to do? What does organized crime get its money from? It gets its money from prostitution, which is mostly illegal. It gets its money from gambling, which mm. is mostly illegal. It gets its money from drugs, which are mostly illegal. Oh. If uh, free market entrepreneurs, without the overhead of violence, violence is very expensive. Without the overhead of violence, free market entrepreneurs providing these services, uh, which are tragic in many ways, though still voluntary technically, uh, they will not be able to... They'll, they'll be able to outcompete the mafia. I mean, why doesn't the mafia go into producing iPhones? But but won't because criminals? They, they can't compete, right? But won't criminals always find an angle? You know, always find a, a an edge or a way in. Well, give me an example. That's that's a description, not an argument. Right? No, I take your point. Uh, God, you put me on the spot there now, haven't you? <laughs> um, I just I just to imagine the gulags. any yeah any any sort of institutions or industries that well, that form. You can just look. Sorry, you just you can just point out to people that the the, the mafia directly came. You can see them swarming off the, the ships. They came to Ellis Island with yeah. prohibition. Yeah, I mean they they, they came straight over uh, as soon as something becomes illegal. Then you get organized crime. Well, this is and this is like uh, the, how how the British Empire made all of its money uh, dealing opium to to China. You know, they they, they, they they make sure that it's illegal there, so that they can rack up the the, the prices. And you know, there, there's a lot of evidence pointing towards uh, prohibition for drugs in the states being pretty much the same sort of interest. You know, they, they want it illegal, illegal so that they can profit off of it a lot more you know so 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 in uh, your answer then stefan is is really to have no sort of laws essentially or nothing be illegal or oh, i misunderstood that well laws is a statist argument right so if you don't have a state you can't have what is commonly described as laws there are obviously safeguards and there obviously is um, you know if we enter into contracts we want to make sure those contracts are going to be followed if you go work for someone you want to make sure they're going to pay you uh, and the workplace environment is going to be as safe as it can reasonably be so you're going to want all these safeguards in society um it's just that the government doesn't really provide but, so, them but, so very let's, well so let's say that we have a mafia forming and um and they demand services and don't pay them continuously because they've got the biggest guns, the the, the biggest force, the most weaponry, uh, they're most feared. Um, so they can go around just demanding what they want in terms of products and services and, and not paying for it because they're not going to be concerned about dealing with dispute resolution organizations or a bad credit rating, are they? That, that sort of mentality, th those are not concerns that they entertain. Well, well wait a sec. I mean... Who is going to be selling all these guns to the mafia? I certainly wouldn't want to have anything to do with any company that would sell guns to criminals. Um, so any any company which could show that they weren't selling guns to criminals would get people's business because nobody, even even the gun manufacturers themselves, don't want guns in the hands. But of, how would they of How would they stop the guns being taken? Say you've got a factory. You from other you've got people? a factory producing guns. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's maybe not. Uh, heavily uh, fortified or whatever. What's to stop a mafia going in and taking all the weaponry? 
well, then you would build it in some remote location that was heavily fortified. I mean, that's sort of one possibility. Um, uh, who knows what weapons would be available uh, in the future that would defeat guns? Who knows? I mean, it could be, uh, you could have glasses where if you squint a certain way, it sends out a ray that knocks someone out. I mean, who knows? I mean, this, this, this kind of stuff is, 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 is incomprehensible goggles? to us at the moment. Sorry? Is that, is that the Google? Stun goggles. Google I don't know. And I guess you would also yes. get back to the point that the people would be empowered. I mean, uh, Stefan, I would imagine that you're, uh, we were talking earlier about the free man movement and how, I mean, the free man movement in England is quite, quite big. And um, uh, so I would, I would imagine there that you, we would still be wanting to follow natural laws of, you know, not hurting uh, others uh, and, um, you know, Theft is wrong. Well, no, but you, murder you is wrong. Okay, sorry, just the, you, 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 we sort of have. Okay, there's this mafia, but the question is, how does it form, right? Mm -hmm. So you, I want my house protected. I want my car protected. I want all of these sorts of things. So I'm going to hire uh, an agency to protect them. And what that means is that if somebody steals my car, they give me a new car. So that puts a financial incentive in, in that company's uh, budget to to protect my car. As, as best it can, right? So how does that work? I don't know. Maybe I have to, uh, maybe it's a thumbprint starter and therefore nobody else can steal it, you know, unless they have my thumb. Okay, I don't want to have my thumb. Maybe it's a breath. Maybe it's, I, I don't know, right? some way that you can start it. So right now, of course, the police have no financial incentive to prevent crime. If you look at the advances in protection from crime that have occurred over the past, you know, whatever, 50 years, they've all come from the private sector. I mean, the, the, the little tags on clothing, you walk out, he goes, beep, 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 please return to the cashier. They didn't come from the police. Home alarm systems, they don't come from the police. Car alarms didn't come from the police. Uh, how to track your iPhone, that didn't come from the police. Uh, the, the notebook chains, they didn't come from the police. You can sort of go on and on. It's the free market that is trying to prevent this kind of crime. So you say to someone, listen, if my car gets stolen, you owe me a new car. They immediately have 20000 pounds or 10,000 pounds worth of incentive to make sure your car doesn't get stolen, which means they've got to monitor car thefts. They've got to try and figure out how car theft rings come into being. They've got to figure out ways to disrupt them in a very proactive, competitive way, which the police has no have no financial incentive fundamentally to do. The police have no legal responsibility to protect you. Uh, they have no, uh, they, they can't be sued for a failure to protect. And so, you know, what they say to serve and protect, well, it's not you, it's other people higher up the food chain. But uh, what I want is a, a system where 20 guys, 20 companies, 20 organizations are competing for my protection dollar and showing me all of their statistics, showing me all of their methodologies being on top of the very latest technology and the very latest ways of, uh, of protecting my property. That's what I want. I don't want some, um, a bunch of chunky guys eating donuts uh, in a system that we've inherited from the Stone Age, uh, lurching around saying, oh, fill out a report, we'll look into it. And, you know, that, that, I, that's not going to work for sure. And so if I'm concerned about organized crime, then I want to buy protection money from protection money. <laughs> so I want to buy insurance against, so if some guy comes by and starts shaking me down for protection, the insurance company is going to pay it. So they immediately have an incentive to make sure that the organized crime doesn't form, uh, to make sure that if it does form, it's broken up. Uh, they have, you know, huge incentive to do that because they're going to lose a huge amount of money if an organized criminal gang gets started. So if you have these these contracts, these these things in place where people have a direct financial incentive, basic of economics, right? There's two. One, people respond to incentives. Two, people's desires are limitless and resources are finite. And so uh, that is the very best thing to do is to have a company or an organization 
a group of them all competing for your dollar, all trying to prove to you that they have the best way to keep you safe with statistics, with third-party validations. And also, in case you're ever scared that these guys are going to become some new government, um, having you know a $10 million reward in escrow for anyone who says who finds them accumulating more weapons than they report or hiring secret armies of bat-shaped robots or something like that. Right. So that, that's how we actually intelligently protect things, is that we have people constantly innovating and competing in the free market to provide us with the best, most efficient, cheapest, and most effective prevention. Where prevention is better than cure when it comes to just about everything. And so that's how you get yourself protected in a free society, not, you know, well, I'll just have a bunch of guys take my money and a bunch of other guys uh, uh, who don't want to get much into danger sitting around uh, filling out forms and therefore I'll be protected. I mean, that's wishful thinking. And I guess we've already got, we've got mafias, we've got quite a lot of organized crime and they're obviously operating quite happily in our current system. So it's not like we have the best track record. Um, How would these... Let's do one more if that's okay. Yeah. Um... So how would these, uh, like, security agencies, do you think, how would they honor their contracts? Like, you know, um, would, they, would they be, uh, would it just be simple free market in that, you know, if a, if a co- company has a track record of, of backing in on its, uh, on its uh, contracts that, you know, people just stop shopping their services with them or... Yeah, look, I mean, the, 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 the policing of, of contractual obligations is done by the competition, right? So uh, if you start welching on 5% of your deals, your competition is going to find that out pretty quickly, mm-hmm. right? Because people are going to complain, they're going to blog, there's going to be some other agency where they can report non-compliance. And so immediately you're going to get 10,000 ads a day on your Google goggles, <laughs> your yeah. retina or whatever the hell they're displayed on my forehead. And they're going to say, you know, uh, the, the, um, the XYZ defense uh, contractor has, is now welching. It's 500% increase on deals it's welched on uh, and so on. Come to us. You know, we'll honor their contracts at half price for the first year. They're constantly trying to siphon off customers from each other. And uh, so, I mean, you, you don't – I mean, the competition is what acts as the break to bad business practices. They will broadcast deficiencies that other companies have as long as they're true and not sort of you know made up uh, falsehoods mm-hmm. they will broadcast those to all the customers and they, you know I, as a guy who was an entrepreneur for 15 years it's uh, you know your, your competition does a lot of work to keep you honest exactly uh, okay um, i know you uh, will let you go soon but um i would just like to any ideas of, of moving forward how can we you know uh for our listeners um how can we dislodge the, the, you know, the existing power structures and institutions and sort of get things moving towards this sort of goal? I mean, obviously, we can't go down with just voting in you know, different crooks each every four years or every five years. And, uh, and I think most well, of us would, would agree that less moment. or no yeah. government is the way forward. So, so right. how would you sort of uh, say that you would lead by example for, for, for people to follow? Because I think a lot of people philosophically will they'll understand less philosophically until they actually see it in practice you know they see these sorts of yeah. these ideas in practice and then want to follow it because it's beneficial to them you know that that's how humans tend to go yeah is, is the first thing well to look do the to, answer is is the first thing to do yeah, to the best, the best thing to, to do voting no i mean i don't think telling people what to do is is well, a great yeah, idea yeah. I mean, that's too much like the state or what, encouraging what I do it think is no, I mean, stop voting is not anything that enlightens anyone because they either really understand the arguments, in which case you don't have to tell them, or they're doing it just because you said so, which is not exactly freedom. So uh, so I don't think that giving people orders is, is or telling them what to do is, is really much of a solution. Uh, I think that, um, you know, if, if you're a heavy smoker and you want more people to quit smoking, what should you do first? 
quit smoking. Exactly. You quit smoking yourself. If you're uh, 400 pounds and everyone around you is 400 pounds and you want everyone to lose weight, uh, you can nag them to lose weight while continuing to insert half a pizza into your cake hole every day. But um, uh, what you want to do is lose weight. And then people might say, hey, I like that thing that you do where you walk up the stairs without falling over and clutching your heart in a Sanford and Son remake. Uh, so maybe I'll have some of that, right? And if you, know, if you quit smoking, you say, hey, I really like the fact that you can go run and play with your kids without cuffing up half a black tar lung. So maybe I want some of that. So if you believe that a peaceful, nonviolent society is the way to go, then you start with yourself. You look in the mirror and you say, okay, how am I using aggression in my life? How am I using abuse in my life? Am I yelling at people? Am I calling them names? Do I hit my children? Do I, do I put my children in a, in a little cage called a timeout? Do I, you know, do I know other people who are doing these things to their children? These are things that we can actually change, right? These are things that we can actually affect. To have a, a non-aggressive, a non-violent stance towards society, to have a non-violent stance within your own relationships, and in particular with your own children, with the children around you that you have any kind of influence over, the parents, it's family, friends, neighbors, whatever. Introduce them to the ideas of peaceful parenting. We are talking a multi-generational change. It's generations away. Uh, let's not do that tortoise and the hare thing. You know, like the hare runs around and just falls asleep and the tortoise actually wins the race. We have a multi-generational change. And this is why we have to let go of politics and accept and work with the reduction and elimination of violence, whether it's, you know, verbal abuse, spanking, yelling at people, all kinds of things. To reduce the incidence of aggression within our own lives is the key. That is going to win for us now because, you know, we don't want to enslave our lives away and pounding our head against the wall for change that's only going to occur in 100 years. That makes us miserable, and I don't think it actually brings that 100 years any closer. probably pushes it further back. But we can live the values that we espouse. You know, if you've got a bunch of slaves and you think, you, you know, let's end slavery, first thing you can do is turn the key on the leg irons of your own slaves and set them free. And those slaves are the people in your life, whether it's your kids, your peers, your, your employees, your you know, whoever. You, you simply reject the use of aggression and violence in your own life. And uh, that builds peaceful societies. Um, inevitably, I can tell you it works. Uh, and so forget the big grand gestures. We're going to, you know, we're going to paint the sky with, with uh, images of anarchy, freedom, peace, and, and uh, uh, gentle lovemaking. This is uh, all a fantasy that, that people use to avoid dealing with the difficult issues of their own use of aggression, uh, a use of aggression in, in their own lives. Uh, once we let go of the fantasy of changing the world and we dig our feet into the pedals of actually changing our own lives, well, we actually do both. And we include, um, you know, in, in that sort of uh, outlook, uh, trying to limit any sort of involvement with government, um, start doing things yourself, schooling your own children, all that sort of jazz as well, just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. God, so it'd just be a, a gradual case of, if you're not using the services of the government and you're not involving yourself in that entire system, it, it's sort of like... Um, it makes it redundant. Yeah, it? It, it starts to make it more and more redundant because it's only purpose and being, it, 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 it validates itself. And then, you know, by yeah, removing look, it possible. from the equation... You know, yeah, where, where possible, I mean, you can you can homeschool your kids in, in many places in the world or you can unschool or, you know, at least put them in private school where you've got some more say and control. That's that's one possibility. 
I don't know about not participating in the state at all. I mean, I think that's kind of impossible. You know, if you live in a socialized healthcare system and you you get sick, you've got to go see a doctor. I mean, what are you going to do, right? They've got a monopoly. So, you know, I won't eat any food that has been driven on a road. Well, you know, welcome <laughs> to your steady lunch of nettles and pebbles. Uh, so, um, you know, I, you know, where possible, I think, you know, it's a good idea to do. I wouldn't make it any kind of principle because, um, you know, I, mean, I don't I mean, go living in the woods isn't changing the world either. And, and you're not free of the state if you're living in the woods because you're only living in the woods because yeah the states uh, i think that's you know a balance yeah i don't really fancy living in the woods i don't know why oh, i know don't knock it till you tried it all right so yeah so i, I think that that was that was great really appreciate having you on stefan yeah thank um, you so much oh, for your my time pleasure. i appreciate the questions and um well keep up the good work and we'll uh we'll send this show over to you when when uh when it's edited do you do you just want to put a, a plug out there stefan for your site and and the work that you i know you're working on a documentary at um at present which um i myself am definitely looking forward to seeing yeah it's uh well it's freedomainradio.com 40 million downloads or so um biggest philosophy show in the world i hope people will come check it out it's all free the podcasts are free the books are free and all that kind of good stuff there's a community with 10,000 people on the message board and so on. So at freedomainradio.com, yeah, documentaries plugging away and I'm um, really looking forward to getting it out. Uh, I think that uh, the freedom movement does need its zeitgeist. Uh, and so I hope that we will get uh, some measure of success from that. And um, if people like the shows, they are certainly welcome to donate. That's kind of how I get my daily bread. And so um, thanks for the opportunity. And for my listeners uh, who are looking to listen to this, if you would like to put your vital statistics out there, uh, be sure to speak over the steady drip of endless uh, English rain. Well, mate, thanks for, for being on No, no More... sorry, what's your website? What's your guys' website? Oh, uh, libertytactics.com, sorry. Libertytactics.com. All right, yeah. thanks, guys. It was a, re a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Stefan. Take care.